you please stand for the reading of God's word? Uh, today's passage is going to be out of Acts chapter 13, verses 38 through 52, demonstrating the power of the gospel, and especially the unique power of the gospel that we have today. Um, so once again, it's going to be Acts chapter 13, verses 38 through 52. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets comes upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the, uh, the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and they came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. Lord, we come and thank you for your gospel to us. How we were unable to... Um, be with you, and you have provided a way for us to be with you, God. Thank you for uh, Pastor Bruce this morning as he's ready to preach on this topic for us, and thank you for the opportunity we have to shed a light on missions today, God, in the upcoming month. month. Thank you for all things you've done for us, Lord. pray this in your name. Amen. As we continue in the series we've been in for the last few weeks, the series here in Acts chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, that's what we're working our way through in the series that we're simply calling Everyone to Everywhere. It's the theme of our series. It's the theme of our World Outreach Celebration. And as we think about this, I want to begin with a question. Just how powerful, how unstoppable, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. They call it the weed that ate the South. The Japanese kudzu vine was introduced to America in 1876 at an exposition in Philadelphia. The kudzu vine now covers the southeastern United States like a thick green blanket in many places. And year after year, Department of Transportation crews spray and cut and mow down the kutsu vine along southern highways, only to see it return and conquer even more ground. 
One author writes, the gospel is like kutsu vine that just won't go away. People try to stomp it out, trim it back, or spray it with weed killer, but the vine just keeps on growing. And that's what we see here in the book of Acts. The book of Acts records the, the spread of the gospel that covered literally the whole world. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see the mission that Jesus gave his disciples back then. It's the same mission that he gives to you and I as his Christ followers today. And that is the mission of getting the gospel here, there, and everywhere. And as the disciples proclaimed the gospel, it began to spread. It spread from Jerusalem and then on to Judea and Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. And what we're seeing as we've been studying through the book of Acts is just how powerful and how unstoppable the gospel really is. In fact, notice this here in your notes and coming up on the screen. Uh, you're welcome to pull out that insert in your bulletin and take notes if you want or you can just... Uh, follow along on the screen behind me here, but the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, and it can't be stopped despite opposition and persecution. The Apostle Paul later on would even write about the gospel, and he would write in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, these words, and when he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then he says this by it. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul describes the gospel here as the, the power of God for salvation. In fact, that word for power uh, is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite. And that's how powerful the gospel is. When the gospel is proclaimed, when it is shared, the results, in other words, can be explosive. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But I wonder, I wonder how many of us treat the gospel as if it's nothing more than just a little lady finger. How many know what a lady finger is? A ladyfinger is a small, small firecracker. In fact, it's often the smallest firecracker. And when a ladyfinger explodes, it makes a lot of noise, but it doesn't have a lot of power behind it. It's a ladyfinger. When my boys were smaller, of course, when Fourth of July would come around, we would go to the firework tents in Smithville, Missouri, and we would buy fireworks, and of course, when, you know, when they're smaller, you're, you're fearful of them shooting off firecrackers and bottle rockets and blowing off a finger, as my wife would say. And so we would buy lady fingers. Tyler, you can shoot off a lady finger. Jack, here's a lady finger. Shoot that off. And, and I wasn't so worried about them blowing off a finger if, if they, you know, didn't get it out of their hand fast enough. Why? Because a lady finger doesn't pack a lot of power makes a lot of noise, it might scare them, but they're still going to have fingers on their hands. That's a good thing. And sometimes that's how we think of the gospel. It's nothing more than a lady finger. But folks, listen, it is like dynamite. When it is proclaimed, the results can be explosive. 
And that's exactly what we see here in Acts chapter 13 when Paul preached the gospel at Antioch in Pisidia. And let me tell you, the results were explosive to say the least. Acts 13 closes with an episode that reminds us just how powerful, just how unstoppable the gospel really is. And so what I want us to do, I want us to, to go through this, I want us to see it, and I want us to leave here knowing that the gospel is first and foremost, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, and it can't be stopped. No matter what the opposition may be, no matter what the persecution may be. The gospel can't be stopped. It spreads. And so with this in mind, let's see the power of the gospel and how it exploded in the city of Antioch, Pisidia. Notice number one. When the gospel is proclaimed, it impacts the city. On that first Sabbath, the rulers of the synagogue in Antioch, they didn't realize what they were doing when they asked Paul if he had anything he wanted to share with those in attendance. If you remember last Sunday, Paul seized the moment, and he stood up, and he began to preach about Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, the ripple effect of that one sermon that Paul preached in the synagogue that Sabbath impacted the whole city of Antioch and Pisidia. Paul's sermon, in other words, it was like this giant boulder cast into a tiny pond, and it shattered the surface calm in that city. Look at the gospel's impact once more in verse 42 when Luke tells us, and when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words, what words? The words that Paul just spoke in the sermon, the gospel words, that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now that is remarkable. They are literally begging Paul for more of the gospel. What they heard from Paul that day in the synagogue was so dynamic, so profound, that they begged Paul, hey, please return to us the next Sabbath and preach about Jesus again. These were people who no doubt had been attending the Jewish synagogue for, for perhaps many times over, many years over. They had heard the Old Testament taught before, and they probably had heard some of the very same prophecies Paul quoted that day, read to them and taught to them by their own rabbis. And yet, here they are. They are ignorant of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when they heard it for the first time, as Paul proclaimed it and preached it, they wanted to hear more of the gospel. Now here in Kansas City, we may have this tendency, I know I do, perhaps you do, to assume that just everyone has already heard the gospel here in our city. And so we may think then that no one would want to hear it again. But the reality is that while many people around us whether it's where you live, where you work, or where you go to school, while everyone around us may have heard something of the gospel, many of them have never heard the true gospel, the total gospel, shared with them under the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we share the true gospel, there are going to be people who will be open, where God has 
begun to work in their heart, open up their heart and their mind, where they are open to hearing more about Jesus Christ. So some of the crowd that day in the synagogue, this is what happened. They wanted to hear more about Jesus the next Sabbath, but there were also others who couldn't wait to hear more the next Sabbath. Verse 43 says, Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And so get the picture here. It'd be like us dismissing from this service here this morning, and we're kind of walking out. Some of you go to your cars, but there's a handful of you. You're following me to my car. And you're like, Bruce, tell us more. I can't wait till next Sunday. i got to know now more about the grace of God, more about the gospel of Jesus Christ, who this guy is that you just talked about. I can't wait till then. And that's what's going on here. They were curious about it, and they wanted to hear more. But it also appears that there were some who were actually convinced by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they started following Paul and Barnabas around, and Paul and Barnabas urges them, hey, continue in the grace of God, proving that a work of grace has already taken place in their hearts. Now, what happens next? Folks, I'm telling you, it is nothing short of incredible. Look in verse 44. Luke tells us here, And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Can you imagine that? Sure you can. Every one of you can imagine that. Because about this time last year, we saw almost all of Kansas City do what? Gather at Union Station to watch a parade and hear the royals talk. What was it estimated? 800,000 Kansas Cityans gathered together, almost the whole city in one spot, to celebrate the World Series and to hear Johnny Gomes go on and on about the Royals. And so it is conceivable. We can't imagine this happen. We just can't imagine that people would want to hear the gospel in this way. I envision thousands of people surrounding Paul and Barnabas saying, please tell us more. We are desperate people and we've heard of this Jesus. Is it true he can forgive our sins? Is it true he can make me right with God? Please tell us more about this Jesus. Now, there's no doubt about it. This, this huge crowd that gathered around Paul and Barnabas, this was certainly a God thing. But that's the impact the gospel can make when it's proclaimed. In fact, notice the impact, if we can summarize it this way, people basically want to hear more about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's amazing is that the people here did not come together to hear the eloquent words of Paul and Barnabas. What did they come to hear? What attracted them was the very word of God, it says. Nothing more, nothing less. In fact, in these nine verses here, Luke makes this point four different times. In verse 44, it says the whole city came together to hear the what? Word of God. Verse 46, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. You drop down to verse 48. The Gentiles were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Verse 49, the word of the Lord was being spread. 
Now, I don't know about you, but to me that is so encouraging. Because this tells me that we don't have to be clever, we don't have to be polished, we don't have to be eloquent when sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Instead, it is the Word of God that makes the impact, not my Word. The gospel is God's Word, not our Word. It's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. It's not my Word. I am simply a mouthpiece that proclaims and shares and witnesses about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel is the power that impacts people's lives. We just need to seize the moment. We just need to proclaim the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and the forgiveness of sins and new life that is found in Jesus Christ. And when we do, people will be impacted by the power of the gospel. Now it is also true, not everyone will want to hear more about Jesus. But at the same time, there will be some who will say, I want to hear more. And there will be some who will even say, I believe in Jesus. I want the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness that you're talking about. Show me how, show me more. The first evidence of the gospel's power that we see here is that when the gospel is proclaimed, it impacts even a city. But then get ready. Because number two, what we see here, is that when the gospel impacts it divides the people. The gospel's power was explosive. And in this case, it impacted a whole city. But the gospel's power was also divisive. And in this case, the gospel divided people along the ethnic lines of Jews and Gentiles. There are always two responses to the gospel. There is the response of unbelief, and there is the response of belief. And those two different responses are often divisive. As one pastor and author writes in his commentary on the book of Acts, he says, and I quote, one of the marks of true evangelism is always that those who are being affected by it are divided. They are either for it or against it. No neutrality is possible when the gospel is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the picture we see right here. Some eagerly respond to the gospel, but others vigorously oppose it. Notice these two different responses. First is the response of unbelief. And what we see here is that the Jews were filled with this jealousy and opposed the gospel. We read this in verse 45 when it, Luke tells us, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy or jealousy. And this jealousy led them to contradicting and blaspheming. And they opposed the things spoken by Paul. And so apparently, not everyone was thrilled about such a big crowd showing up to hear Paul speak about Jesus. Perhaps when some of the regular Jewish synagogue members walked in to see their normal seat had been taken, they weren't too happy about it. This time the Jewish leaders made sure that Paul didn't have as much liberty preaching this week as he had been given last week. And so they openly contradicted the things that Paul said and blasphemed Jesus Christ. They opposed his gospel message. But here's the question, why? Why such animosity? Why such hostility? 
Well, Luke says it's because the Jewish leaders were filled with what? They were, they were filled with jealousy. You see, yes, they were jealous that Paul could draw such a big crowd that they could never draw. But folks, make no mistake about it, their jealousy was much deeper than that. They were jealous because of who was in the crowd that Saturday. And they were jealous because of what the message was about that Paul was proclaiming. What was the cause of their jealousy? As one pastor and author writes, it was really prejudice. They resented that salvation was made available to Jew and Gentile alike. Nothing so infuriated the Jews as the thought that the blessings of salvation might be extended to the despised Gentiles. That thought filled them with jealousy. You see, the Jew, Jewish leaders taught that Gentiles, they taught them that to get, the God, God, to get God's approval, and even to get the Jewish leaders' approval, that you must convert to Judaism. You must begin practicing the, Jew, the Jewish ways, the Jewish customs. But here comes Paul preaching that it's not practicing the Jewish systems of works like keeping the law and being circumcised that makes someone right with God. Rather, it is trusting in Jesus Christ that makes you right with God. And so when the Gentiles heard this, man, they were like, whoa, right on. Especially the men who were not all that excited about circumcision. And who could blame them? Paul is proclaiming that all peoples everywhere are made right with God by faith alone in Christ alone. All throughout Scripture. You see this from Genesis all through Revelation. We read of God's love for all peoples everywhere. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, when we read of God's promise to Abraham where God says, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And then you fast forward to the last book of the Bible in Revelation 7-9 where the Apostle John writes, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. God's purpose of bringing salvation to everyone everywhere. Yes, it started with Israel, but now it is extended to everyone everywhere. Everyone who believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that thought, that the gospel is for everyone, filled the Jews with jealousy. Not only that, this jealousy stirred them to action. They began contradicting Paul's message. They began blaspheming God himself. And how did Paul respond in the face of this opposition? Well, Luke tells us in verse 46, and this is amazing. I just love this, that Paul and Barnabas grew, what? They grew bold. They grew bold in the face of this opposition. That is, they didn't back down. As the hostility of the Jews intensified, so did the boldness of Paul and Barnabas. And notice what they said in verse 46 and 47. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you to be a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Tragically, 
these Jewish leaders chose to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ that they were hearing. And by so doing, Paul says that they judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. In other words, they brought this verdict on themselves by their own choice to totally walk away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have firmly said, no thank you to eternal life that is found in Jesus Christ. Now, what we see here is the important biblical truth of human responsibility in salvation. These unbelieving Jews judge themselves unworthy of eternal life by their very rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You go to John chapter 3, verse 16, a verse that most of you are familiar with, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But you drop down two verses later in verse 18, and Jesus tells us in his own words, whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so people perish in hell because they choose to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ and refuse to believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that choice shuts them out of eternal life. Paul goes on to tell these Jewish believers, since you don't want the gospel, since you reject the gospel, we will now turn to the Gentiles and proclaim it to them. This is remarkable here. It's remarkable thing here is that while some of the Jews rejected the gospel, we're also told that many of the Gentiles fully embraced it, which brings us to their belief. For the majority of the Jews that day, their response was unbelief. But for many of the Gentiles that day, their response to the gospel was belief. The Gentiles were filled with joy, and they glorified the gospel. Just because someone doesn't want to hear the gospel doesn't mean that no one wants to hear it. And so as Paul turned from the Jewish leaders to the Gentiles in the crowd, we read in verse 48, Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So here's the picture, get this. In that crowd, just as this crowd here this morning, there were people who rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by that choice, they showed themselves unworthy of eternal life. But also in that crowd were people who God had already appointed to eternal life. And when they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were glad to hear it. They glorified it, and ultimately they believed in it. In other words, some of these Gentiles responded in saving faith to the gospel. And Luke adds in verse 52 at the bottom of this chapter here, and the disciples, that is these new Gentile believers, they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And of course, we know at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit is the seal, it's the evidence, it's the inward dwelling of the Spirit in us. 
that confirms the genuineness of our belief in Jesus Christ. And so their response is belief. And this is amazing. This is glorious. It's wonderful when somebody chooses to receive Jesus Christ and believe in him. But let's go back to what Luke writes at the end of verse 48. Because there's one sentence here that I want us to look at a little bit. Look what Luke says. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now that's one of the clear statements in all the Bible concerning God's sovereignty in salvation. And as such, it is the balancing truth to human responsibility in salvation that we just saw earlier in verse 46. In response to verse 48 here, one author writes these words. He says, now don't turn this around. This verse does not say, and as many as believed were appointed to eternal life. Paul began this message, remember what we saw last Sunday, he began this message by showing them that God is active, trying to reach out to people. It's not people who are trying to find God. When people believe, they are simply responding to the activity of God who is already reaching out to them. In other words, the ultimate reason why anyone comes to believe in Jesus Christ is because God graciously appointed them to believe and God graciously works in their lives to believe. Just consider what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. He says this, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In other words, it's only because God in his sovereignty, chooses some for salvation that anyone is saved. He chose us in Jesus Christ, Paul tells us, before the creation of the world, before the foundation of the world, and at the right time, through the hearing of the gospel, he grants us repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ so that we can be saved. This sovereign choice of God makes all the difference in the world that it makes all the difference in eternity. Now, I'll be honest with you. There are some people, perhaps even now, sitting in this auditorium, who are uncomfortable with God's sovereignty in salvation. And so they want to soften it. But why? Why would we want to soften God's sovereignty in our lives? Is it because we think God is, is playing favorites or somehow being unfair? But this question, I think, is missing the point. This question seems to picture God as somehow standing at the gates of heaven and he's pushing away people who are seeking to enter into his presence. And that is not the case at all. What do we read in the book of Romans? 
about us, about all of humanity. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 11 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. We, in other words, we are all born running away from God as fast as we can to be our own gods and to live our own lives. In our sinfulness, in our selfishness, we would never choose God. Why? Because we want to be our God. We want to rule our lives. If left to ourselves, we would all judge ourselves unworthy of eternal life like these Jews did on that Sabbath Saturday. But God, God graciously reaches out. God graciously intervenes in some, drawing us to himself for salvation. And if God didn't do this, then no one would be saved. Listen, God isn't unfair. You know what God is? He's gracious. He's merciful. And if God treated us fairly, then we all would be damned to hell. But God is gracious and he saves some. Those whom he has appointed to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I find great comfort in this truth. I find great comfort in God's sovereignty in my own salvation. And yet, God still holds us accountable, responsible, if you will, to call upon Him, knowing, as Peter declared in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, that everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. At the same time, oh, let us not forget. Let us remember that these Gentiles believed after they heard the gospel proclaimed to them. This is why we proclaim the gospel to everyone everywhere. It's why the mission is to get the gospel to here in Kansas City and there outside of our borders, outside of where we live, and to everywhere across the world. Because we do not know who has been appointed to believe. And so we proclaim the gospel to everyone everywhere so that they might believe. What we see next is just more evidence of just how powerful and stoppable the gospel really is. Because when we do proclaim the gospel, make no mistake about it, it divides. Some people believe it and some don't. Some glorify the gospel and some oppose it. But those who oppose the gospel ultimately can't stop the gospel, which brings us to number three. When the gospel divides, it spreads everywhere. The result of the gospel's power is quite astonishing here. Verse 49 says, And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. That's phenomenal. So what's going on is these new Gentile believers were already spreading the gospel to here, there, and everywhere. Because how does the gospel spread? It spreads through the means of people. That's what God uses to spread the gospel is us, his Christ followers. Wherever we go, we go with the gospel and we proclaim it. And so now these new Gentile believers, they are spreading it everywhere throughout the region of Antioch, Pisidia. Good news travels fast. 
Let me tell you, when the Royals won the World Series last year and announced they were having a parade, what was so comical, the school districts actually tried to keep school at session that day. But good news traveled fast. Parents were calling up, uh, my kids miss the school, my kids miss the school, my kids miss the school. Why? They're going to the parade, they're going to the parade. Uh, I guess we ought to cancel school then. Why? Good news travels fast. And the gospel is good news to everyone who believes. And nothing could stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The city of Antioch and the surrounding region was literally turned upside down by the gospel. And do you think the Jews were excited about this? No way. This just enraged the Jews all the more, which brings us to number four. When the gospel spreads, it stirs up persecution. Unable to silence Paul and Barnabas and stop the gospel from spreading, the protesters became persecutors. Verse 50 says, But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. And so what's going on is the Jewish leaders here, they stirred up the men and the women of stature to do their dirty work for them. To persecute Paul and Barnabas and to drive them out of the city. In fact, Later on, what's interesting, Paul actually refers to this very incident, this persecution, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, when he writes, My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, and next week we'll see later even at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me from them. And we will see just how God did that for Paul next week. But for now, get ready. You say, get ready for what? Because when the gospel spreads, get ready, it stirs up persecution. But don't miss what happened next. Number five, when the gospel stirs up persecution, it just carries right on. It carries on. Yes, the persecution was apparently intense enough that Paul and Barnabas were literally forced to hit the road and leave the city. And yet, the gospel just carried on in spite of the persecution. Now, what's interesting here, what you don't find in the pages of Scripture here in this story is you don't find two whiny, weakly, measly, wussified little missionaries. You don't find two defeated missionaries here on the outskirts of town licking their tails. Rather, we read in verse 51, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. You say, what's that about? Well, this shaking the dust off your feet was a symbolic gesture that every Jew understood all too well. Upon entering Jerusalem from a distant land, the Jews would in a symbolic gesture, if you will, they would literally shake the dust off their sandals so as not to bring Gentile dirt back into their holy city. Jesus actually, referring to this symbolic gesture, actually told his disciples to do the same thing when a city did not welcome them and their message about Jesus Christ. You can read about that in Luke chapter 9, verse 5, when Jesus asks, If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. 
And so, in essence, Paul and Barnabas were signaling to these unbelieving Jewish leaders that they were no different than unbelieving pagans. There could be no stronger condemnation. Rejection of the gospel ultimately leads to rejection by God himself. And so, Paul and Barnabas were just doing what Jesus told them to do. Shake it off and move on. And that's what they did. They moved on to the next city, and they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ at Iconium. They persevered in the face of persecution and opposition, showing that the gospel can't be stopped. It carries on. And so what we see in Antioch, Pisidia, is a phenomenal picture of the gospel's power at work. The gospel's power, let me tell you, it was explosive. It impacted the whole city. Some people believed and some didn't. Some people were filled with joy and they glorified the gospel. And some were filled with jealousy and opposed it. Here's a question to think about. Do you believe? Do you believe the gospel still has the power to impact people? In your heart. I mean, in your heart of hearts, do you believe, I mean really believe, that the gospel still has power to impact people the way it did the people at Antioch Pisidia? Listen, I hope, I pray you leave here convinced, convinced with conviction that the gospel is explosive. That the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That the gospel still has the power today to impact people. But as we think about the gospel's impact, and whether or not we really believe it impacts, here's the conclusion I have begun to come to. And it's here in your notes. Yes, the gospel still impacts But the gospel must first impact us before we will get the gospel everywhere to impact others. And so perhaps the most important question that we can ponder on this morning is this. Has the gospel impacted your life? Have you believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ for your own salvation? And if you have, does the gospel continue to impact your life after salvation? Does the gospel's power to save, does that truth, does that motivate you, does that compel you to proclaim it? Does it compel you to get the gospel to everyone, everywhere? You see, our message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our mandate is getting this gospel message here, there, and everywhere. Why? Because it's powerful. It impacts people. And it can't be stopped. And so I pray that we leave here this morning impacted by the gospel, filled with the joy of the gospel, and ready to go the distance and proclaim the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Have you believed it?
And if not, what are you waiting for? Listen, God wants to do a work in your own heart. God offers you, as we saw last Sunday, he offers you the forgiveness of sins in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's his promise when we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the power, that's the impact. Not only that, when he forgives us, he makes us right with God. He justifies us. We're declared righteous. That is phenomenal. And so can you testify to that? Have you believed like these Gentiles believed? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the gospel's power to save those who believe in your son, Jesus Christ. And may we leave here impacted by the gospel. May we leave here compelled to proclaim it with people who need to hear it. And Lord, perhaps there is some here who have yet to believe, and so we pray that you would draw them to yourself. You would open up their mind and their heart to see their need for Jesus Christ, to see their sinfulness. And Lord, during our response time here, that they would pray to you right where they're seated. They would cry out and express to you their heart's desire to be saved, to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Lord, for those of us who already have believed, Lord, let us leave here impacted once again. Let us leave here with the conviction that the gospel truly is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And let us leave here with the conviction to proclaim that message, to be compelled by it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Zach and the praise team are going to sing, and as they do, respond. Respond to the Lord as he is leading and directing you to do.